All right, y'all. Um, so this morning, we'll do, we'll do State of the Church, which we've done, we kind of do it once a year in January. And, and as you guys know, it's always been loosely modeled after the president's kind of State of the Union address, which this year just feels a bit more awkward and depressing, doesn't it? Um, and let me say something, you know, kind of going back to a week or two ago, because, you know, as, as a pastor, I wrestle with what issues I need to have an opinion on, right? Or the second part of that is how quickly one should respond to certain, to certain issues, right? So we live in a culture where you have to have an opinion on everything, and the quicker you have that opinion, the more right you are. And I've struggled, you know, kind of in light of those events on January 6th, I've struggled with like, how do I have an opinion on that? Or, or what do I have an opinion? And sometimes people, there's, there's this, this kind of narrative out there that silence on social media, it means that you're indifferent or that you don't care, right? So I, I'm, I would say that in a lot of things, I pro, it takes me a long time to process them. And they will eventually kind of come out in, in sermons. And sometimes it's not a month or, or months down the line, but I still consider these things and I still think about these things. I had somebody kind of text me about some of these things and I was able to have some, some kind of thoughtful conversation with somebody on the side about that. But I, I, th- I just want to let you know, you know, again, we kind of state of the union, presidential politics, all that sort of stuff. Um, I, I do have concern and, and I do really think about these things, but I want to think about them uh, properly with perspective and with wisdom not immediately and just having to have an opinion on every single thing that comes down the pike. What I do want to speak on, though, is our church. And I do feel like I can speak on that authoritatively with passion, with um, some wisdom. I've used this term in the past to describe this kind of gathering that we do here on, on Sundays in January. And we've in the past called it a stakeholders meeting or a shareholders meeting, which might be more appropriate this year than any other year. Um, but it's, it's an opportunity kind of for us to come together discuss this organization, uh, what's going on in our church, in our family, this, this thing that we're all invested in, like kind of what's happening and how do we process church this year and what do we think about when we think about church. So I want to talk about our church. Again, this, this yeah, again, State of the Union does, doesn't feel like the right one this morning, but this kind of shareholders meeting or this, this stakeholders meeting. And I just want to talk about a couple things. I want to think about Sundays. What are we doing on Sundays? right, this gathering that we do. I want to talk about 2020, and I'm going to use three letters, A, B, and C, to talk about that, and then I got a couple numbers that I want to discuss. Um, And that's it. That'll kind of take us to to the big finish. So, yeah, so let's talk about this thing this morning. Um, When we gather on Sunday mornings, we kind of have three main elements, and y'all, if you've been here, you know this. We take Eucharist every morning, We have some time of music, we have some time of teaching. Um, I would say that these three things are, are what I would kind of form our, our posture of prayer. Okay? Eucharist, music, and teaching. And the Eucharist, I think one of the most revelatory things that I've thought about this past year when, when we think about the Eucharist, uh, we use that Dale Bruner quote that the greatest enemy of faith is forgetfulness, right? So the Eucharist is week in and week out. Jesus says, when you take this, do this in remembrance 
of me. The Eucharist is our week in and week out anchoring ourselves back to the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, the Son of God, right? Do this in remembrance of me. Remember the covenant that I've made for you. Remember my body that was broken for you. And so the Eucharist is, is this opportunity, again, week in and week out. The greatest enemy of faith is forgetfulness. And it's our way to say, God, I don't want to forget you. I want to remember you. I want you always before me. And then the music element, <clears throat> and Brian, you've been embarrassing me like all year long with your grand introduction. So I'm going to embarrass you now by just, by just complimenting the heck out of you, <laughs> which always feels a little, bit, a little bit weird. But let me talk about Brian for a second. I've said this before about Brian, um, but I think one of the, the things that I appreciate most about you, Brian, and, and specifically our music time, is it's, it's really this undistracted, simple, kind of worshipful songs, right? You lead with humility, with modesty. There's a gentleness about you. A couple weeks ago, Brian, we were talking about Erdman's Law. Remember Charles Erdman's Law, right? The people who are most filled with the Spirit are least aware of it, right? Uh, Brian, you, to me, as I've known you for the past probably 20 years, you kind of, um, you really, um, ex- what's the word I'm looking for? Ex- ex- uh, exemplify. exemplify. Thank y'all. It's too hot up here. My brain's starting to melt. <laughs> you really exemplify that, man. You really do. Um, that you're filled with the spirit and the way that you lead is, is so, um, we're, we're grateful for it. Uh, I thank you not only for your musical skill, which you're such a talented, incredible musician, but you're graceful and music, uh, you're graceful and meek leadership. And as, again, as skilled as you are musically, you are equally kind of talented or graceful or mature in the things of the Lord. So, um, Brian, we are, we're really lucky to, to have you um, kind of lead us in, in, in music time and song and worship. So, um, should we do a standing ovation for Brian? <laughs> a standing, oh, Brian's gonna, I, I'll do that. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, really, really, man, I wanted to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, you're a big part of what happens on Sunday morning, and we're grateful for that. So um, I, will, I will tone this down by about 50% next year if you promise not to do any of these wild introductions anymore. <laughs> okay, and then teaching, you know, teaching kind of becomes a big part of, of the Sunday morning gathering as well, too. In 2020, we had this phenomenal year. I'm just going to put M-I-M. T-O-T, and then um, those were the three series. The Mountains in Matthew, the Theology of Trees, and then the Walking on Water. Uh, One of the things I think that was helpful for me this year is sometimes when we approach the Bible, we think it's just like this spiritual book. It's just for our soul. As we looked at the mountains in Matthews, in Matthew, the the mountains that Jesus would kind of go up and and when he would, what would happen on top of the mountains, the theology of trees as we traced the trees throughout the scripture. Again, we did the same thing with water. It brought back um, this kind of deeply physical nature of the Bible, right? As much as the Bible is uh, about our soul and about our, our spirit, it's also deeply physical. It's earth and dirt and blood and sweat and tears. And it was a, you know, 2020 was, was really... Um, just kind of a shift for us, kind of almost back to that, or, or maybe just kind of a balancing of the spiritual nature of the Bible with like the physical nature of the Bible to really think through those things. In 2021, I got a couple ideas that, that have kind of been kind of been brewing in my brain. 
Um, I, I haven't been able to figure out how to name this series PB and J because I have the P and the J, but I don't know how to do the B. So if, if anybody's bright out there, I want to look at the, the way that Paul looks at Jesus through the Old Testament, right? So, so Paul will take Old Testament quotes and then he'll apply them to Jesus, right? And he does this a few times throughout his letters where he's taken, again, the P, the J, Anybody out there can think of the B, and we can call it the PB&J series. PB&J series, but it's it's Paul and Jesus and the Old Testament, and, and where those three kind of intersect or mash up that kind of Venn diagram. What's the word that's being given that Paul wants to get across about Jesus as he sees Jesus as the revelation of all um, of the whole Bible, right? So I'm going to do this Paul Jesus. An Old Testament series. I want to do one um, in the book of Acts. There's this phrase, there's these two words that get used again and again and again. Um, it's these two words are get up, right? It's used, I think, about seven or eight times in the book of Acts, where Luke, the writer, continue goes back and says, get up, go do this, or get up, go do this, or get up. So we're going to look at this, this kind of phrase, how that's used throughout the book of Acts. And then I, I've been teasing this for a long time. We're going to do a series on the Trinity. We're going to spend a month with the Father. We're going to spend a month with the Son. And we're going to spend a month with the Holy Spirit. And then, as always, I'm always open to your guys' ideas, thoughts, comments, questions. Um, if there's something that you feel like our church could hear from or needs to hear, uh, we, can, we can kind of jump into that as well, too. Um, so that'll be 2021 coming up. Uh, and then next month, our 10-year anniversary. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? I mean... Yeah, it's, it's significant. And, and one of the things I think that I've, I've been most, and I'll have plenty to talk about next, next month, but uh, one of the things I think that's been most special about this is kind of the endurance or the faithfulness of this church, right? To make it to 10 years is significant. A lot of church plants, I, I don't know the, the exact statistic, but it's not, it's not long that most church plants um, kind of stay. I know a story, I don't know, this... No, I'll, I'll skip it. You can ask me about a, another story, but I know another story about a church that, that didn't make it, and it's, it's putting that church down to make our church look better, so we'll just skip it. But I'm, I'm really proud of, of the way that this church has endured and been faithful. Um, it's, it's really one of my greatest joys um, to know that. All right, that's it. That's it for kind of the Sunday morning. So the Mountains of Matthew, Theology of Trees, the, the um, Walking on Water, um, Paul, Jesus, and the Old Testament, the get-up phrase, the, the Trinity, we'll, we'll, we'll jump into that in 2021. I want to talk about kind of looking back into 2020 through these three letters, A, B, and C. The A word is acceptance. Um, I guess, too, you could kind of throw in here, although this word kind of has a bad rap at the moment, tolerance. T-O-L. E-R-A-N-C-E, yeah? I don't know if it was the spelling or just the sun up here. <laughs> um, no, nah, I'm, I'm all right. Like Rob said, 75, or was it 75% of the country would, pastors would be killed to be out here in 75 degrees. Okay, so I think that our last gathering in the, in the facility was March 16th. Does that sound right? Anybody remember that? It was like March, middle of March, and, um, and the schools were shutting down the next day. I think it was kind of our last, and that was it, right? I remember it was, it was that Sunday. I want to kind of go back to something I talked about. Um, 
that last Sunday we were together, I, I again, the, the kind of the, the COVID news concerns, the outbreak, the hysteria was building. Um, and one of the things I talked about on that Sunday was this passage in Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 8. Paul is having a conversation with people in the Corinthian church about uh, people eating meat that was sacrificed to idols, right? So there was this conversation in the early church where some people thought like, hey, eating meat that's sacrificed to idols, why would you take anything that is so pagan and so, and so defiled and then put that in your body? That, that is the worst thing in the world. Don't do that. And there was a large portion of the church that said, we will not eat any meat that has been sacrificed or using any of those kind of rituals, those pagan rituals. We're not going to do that, right? And then some people would look at that meat and they would say, who cares? In light of Jesus and his revelation, in light of what has happened on the cross, all those other gods are insignificant. They're, they're nil. They're nothing. So they can dance around and do all the rituals they want. It means nothing. I'll take that meat and I'll eat it. And there was this tension in the church where some people said, yes, I'll, I'll eat the meat. And some people said, no, I won't eat the meat, right? Paul brings them together in this passage in Corinthians 8. And he warns, he warns them, he says, be careful not to exercise your rights as superior to one another, right? That was the warning Paul gave to the church. And again, back in March, as, as COVID was building um, and, and as everybody's kind of starting to have opinion on these things, I said this back in March, I warned everyone in the church, and I do so now even more. Be careful not to exercise your rights, your viewpoints, your opinions as superior, right? Be careful. Um, back then, some people were just really afraid. This, this pandemic was just kind of um, coming on the scene. We didn't know what to, what to expect of it. We didn't know how to treat it. And some people were really afraid and they went to their homes and they locked the door and they said, I'm not coming out until this thing's over. And some people kind of took an opposite attitude where they said, no, 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 we need faith over fear and this thing's a hoax and it's just going to wash over, right? And so there was this tension at the beginning of like, well, what really is this thing? And people, again, had these viewpoints. Um, they had the, this opinion. And then there was the early on, do you remember the, the, the debate about either wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, Right. Um, there was that kind of debate that was early on. I say this a little bit to my shame, but I had a goal back then thinking that I'm going to make it through this whole pandemic without ever having to wear a mask. Like that was like kind of a personal goal that I was like, oh yeah, this thing's going to be done in like two weeks and I'll never have to wear a mask. And that's just, that's just absolutely, and, and I had an opinion on that. It was a strong opinion. Like these masks are worthless and look at these, you know, people wearing masks and all that stuff. Um, and, and again, you know, you kind of have these opinions. There's the people who say it's a hoax. There's people who take it seriously. It has this divisions along political lines. Um, there's now this new division where some people can't wait for the vaccine and some people think that the vaccine has microchips in it. There's people who say we need to open up all the businesses and stop stifling the businesses. And there's people who say it's pro-quarantine. You know, we need to stay quarantined. And I would say this, I would say, especially over this past year, we've all come at this thing in different ways, right? And the word that I gave back then, it's the word that I give again today, is this kind of acceptance, this tolerance piece to my brothers and sisters that are in the church. Right here, Isan. Isan, I would highly recommend that you find a spot in the shade because it is hot. It is, okay. There's, um, there's a chair over by Robin or maybe back there because it is warm. How you doing today, Isan? I'm good. You're good? Yeah. 
I'll give you money. You just got this. Thank you, Johnny. I don't care. You don't care? Thank you, Johnny. That means a lot to us as a church. Here you go. Thank you. I think that was halftime. <laughs> okay, we're going to start the third quarter here. So this piece of acceptance or intolerance, because, again, as people have come at this thing in all different ways, right, just accepting and being tolerant of one another is really one of the greatest goals here. Loving people exactly where they're at. Here's a trick, though. Even when you don't agree with them, right? Even when you think with every fiber of your being, man, that person is so wrong, right? You might think, oh, that person, they're just living in fear. They're so afraid. And somebody else might think, you are so arrogant. You're so proud to think that you're better than this thing. Or you might think that that person is so idiotic. Or they're this, or they're that. I want to remind us that, with, with this, I want to remind us that sin, its primary power, Satan's primary power is to isolate and divide. Right? To isolate and divide. It's exactly what happens in the Garden of Eden, right? When sin enters in there, sin, the first thing it does is it isolates, it divides Adam and Eve, it separates them from God. And sin has the same, it, it does the exact same thing today in the midst of all this, right? And when we talk about tolerance, because this has kind of been one of those buzzwords that in essence means, well, we just treat everybody equally, everybody's equal, and there's no differentiation, and everybody has the same thing. That's not what tolerance means. That's a really poor definition of tolerance. Tolerance is, how do I treat somebody when I find out they're different than me? How do I treat somebody when I realize that they voted for somebody who I didn't vote for, right? How do I treat somebody when I realize that their goal through the entire pandemic was to not wear a mask, right? How do I treat somebody when I find out that they're different than me? And again, as we look at our brothers and sisters this year, because this thing doesn't seem like it's going away anytime soon, right? And everybody's kind of going through different phases and ideas. How do we treat those people when they're different? than us. This is such a big theme, at least for me, over this past year. So then the B word, the B word that I want to talk about this morning <clears throat> Let me write it out, actually. I was going to have, um, actually, did you give Alice sweet tarts this morning? Is that what they were? Someone gave her sweethearts. I want to use this word bittersweet. When I think about 2020, it was bittersweet. Or you could use, again, that word. I was going to hand out sweet tarts to everyone so you could all have a little taste of how 2020 has been. So personally, um, you know, being at home kind of 24-7, right? And, and right behind me where I'm trying to do my church work is kindergarten or first grade Zoom and then there's another Zoom happening in the room over. And then there's my wife Zooming in the garage. Um, and, and, and one of the things that I've, I've kind of looked at is, is 2020 for me was supposed to be the year that I was going to really kind of dive into the pastoral vocation, right? You guys have known that have been with me since day one of this church. I've been the stay-at-home pastor. I've been the stay-at-home dad. I've helped get Julia through into school and, 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 and Jeanette and now Al, and Alice was going to be in preschool this year like three days a week and I was going to have all this time 
you know, and I was going to be like really zooming along as a pastor. And then, you know, coronavirus came and said, now, nah, why don't you stay? Why don't you stay at home with everybody for one more year? Um, and, and that's been difficult for me because, again, I, I really was looking forward to this year kind of being a year of, of growing more into a pastor, taking pastoral appointments, uh, meeting with people, um, focusing on, on study and work and, and those sorts of things. So it's been a little bit bitter in that sense. But the sweet part is having your family around 24-7, right? I know that in just a few years, and I've, I've shared this with some people that are a little bit older than me or kind of in that next phase of life. I, I'm just a few years removed from, I know this is a little bit of a, a violent metaphor. I'm just a few years away from literally chopping off my left hand to have my family home again with me, right? To have my kids in this stage, right? I know that in just a few years, my kids are going to be teenagers and they're going to be um, they're going to think that I'm a weirdo and they're not going to want to talk to me and they're not going to want to be around me, right? And I know that that stage is coming. And so to know that that's coming, it really makes me cherish all the more having my kids and the family around us for this year. It is a sweet time with family. So 2020 has been bittersweet for me personally. It's been bittersweet for us as a church as well. Um, I would say the bitter part, when we kind of went into that first quarantine and I was doing the Facebook Live, Zoom, church, all that stuff, um, that almost ruined me. I could not do that. It was so difficult to preach and to pastor through a medium, right? That was so hard for me. And I, I almost, I don't want to say I like ever came close to quitting, but I was like, I just, I just can't do this anymore. Um, and then we started meeting outside, right, which is beautiful and wonderful um, and this has been amazing. Uh, we, we get to let our lights shine out, outdoors, but there's distractions that are outdoors. Um, but it has been just, it has, I mean, this is just a beautiful park. We get to let our lights shine in this neighborhood. People that walk by get to see that there's a, a gathering of Jesus people that are worshiping and praying and singing and learning in the name of Jesus. And I know I say it like week in and week out, and I kind of sound like that old old grandpa, but the weather we've had has just been remarkable. Um, and I'm really grateful for the sweet part is just all the people who continually show up on Sunday morning, who are gathered with us on Sunday morning. And then to my Facebook friends out there too, the folks that gather on Facebook or online, I mean, look at this little piece of technology that we have that we can get the sermon out to so many people or get this uh, service out to so many people who are out there. And to those who are watching online, we love and we miss you. And we cannot wait till all we can be together again. It's been a bittersweet year. The C has taught me about contentment. Has taught me about contentment. Um, 2020 has been, been one of those years that's kind of thrown some real curveballs our way. And it's been hard for us to have what we want and crave most. Do you know what you want and crave most? You guys know? Anybody want to guess? What, was the what do you want and crave most in your life? Starts with a C. Huh? Contentment, community. Christ. Christ. Oh, that's a good one. You went in doubt. Jesus. <laughs> We all, what we all want and crave most in our lives is control, right? It's control. 
And this has been a year in which we've kind of received our lot from the Lord and said, okay, God, I'm going to do my best to work with what you have given me. It is a year in which we've relinquished control in so many areas, right? Um, I know I've said this before, but when, when the Apostle Paul uses his famous Tim Tebow verse, you guys know the famous Tim Tebow verse? You guys know Paul was quoting Tim Tebow? No? Paul, when Paul quotes Tim Tebow, I think that's how it works. Um, and he says, you know, Tim Tebow would always put Philippians 4.13 under his, his uh, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? And when, he, when, when Paul's quoting Tim, again, he isn't talking about winning football games or achieving financial success or becoming a movie star. You know, maybe sometimes you go to clean out your garage and that verse just comes up. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's clean this garage out, right? What Paul's talking about here in this verse is contentment, right? The reason that Paul's able to do all things in Christ, because he's discovered the secret to life, which is contentment. So Philippians 4, 11 through 13, which kind of brings a little bit of context to it, says, Paul says this, let me read this first. I've learned to be content in any circumstance, right? I have experienced times of need and times of abundance. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment, whether I go satisfied or hungry, plenty or nothing. And then Paul says this, I'm able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? So for us in 2020, again, we all want control. We all desire that control. Some people, again, have had kids forced at home, right? Some people have, and some people have lost a job. Some people have got a new job. Some people have had a new baby. Some people have had the death of a loved one. Some people have gotten married. I just did a wedding a couple weeks ago. Some people have been working safely from home. And we have some folks in our church who are on the front lines. Um, we have vacation plans that have been canceled. We have uh, staycations with loved ones that have happened. We have people who have shifted uh, to Zoom 24-7, right? And they long for human contact. And sometimes some of us would actually prefer some Zoom and just to kind of be left alone and kind of hide behind the, the computer camera. There, there have been seasons of depression. There's been seasons of great joy. Some of us have been confused, some lost, and some content and going with the flow. The secret to life, Paul says, this year and in years to come, is simply to say, God, not my will. God, not my control. Not the way I want to structure and organize my life, right? God, not my will, but I humbly accept your will. Contentment is the secret that Paul says to life. Dallas Willard, I'll, I'll use this quote real quick from Dallas, one of my favorite Dallas Willard quotes. Because of God's competence and care, the world is a perfectly safe place for me, even though it doesn't always seem that way. Because of God's competence and care, we can be perfectly content, right? The world is this perfectly safe place for us, even though... It doesn't always seem this way. Let me close it up with three numbers.
Guys still with me? Everybody good? Yeah. Take a quick sip. Okay, let me, these first two numbers I'm a little hesitant to share on um, at, the ex, at the expense uh, of kind of sounding, sounding boastful or self-aggrandizing. But I, I guess I'll just share them because I want to let you all know what, what I have been up to because we all know that pastors only work on Sundays. <laughs> but just, just kind of what, what I've been up to, some things that I've been working on, some things that I've been kind of doing. Um, in, in, in my time as a pastor and even in my personal time. Um, yeah, so just two numbers. And again, if this comes across as boastful or super Christian, uh, yeah, just forgive me on that. That's not my intent. Uh, it's just to, to really just share from my heart what's going on. So the first one, the number eight, is eight chapters of Mark. Last year I had the goal of memorizing the entire book of Mark. Um, and kind of early on, I realized that that wasn't going to be sustainable. And then the coronavirus came. And then with all the shifting schedules, transitions, all those things, I made it eight chapters deep. So I've memorized the first eight chapters of Mark. I've started on chapter nine. Um, Now, again, this isn't just kind of like, whoa, the super pastor memorizing the Bible. Yeah, that's not what that's about. Um, My desire and my prayer every time I sit down to try and memorize scripture is that Jesus' teachings, his actions, his narratives would, would, would reside in my heart, right? Would reside in my soul so that it oozes out to this conversation or to this congregation, to, this, to these people and, and to, the, to all of our conversations, right? That's my, my goal. That, again, Jesus talks about that living water, right? That as I put Jesus' teachings, his, his words, his actions, his narrative, that that would just naturally flow for me and I would encourage you like this is possible like if you would have told me a year or two ago like hey go memorize the book of Mark I would look at you and like no that's that's impossible like it's possible you can do it right and I would encourage if you're kind of lost or stagnant or thinking about what to do starting to put down large passages of scripture is one of the most transformative practices I think that you can do right Dallas Willard again quoted my my boy Dallas Willard again says it like this. This was, I think, the the tipping point for me to start this project, was this quote. Dallas says this. He says, memorizing scripture is more important than a daily quiet time. Can I say that again? Memorizing scripture is more important than a daily quiet time, right? A lot of us kind of wake up and maybe you have that little Bible app that you do, or you have your prayers that you go through, or you have that little quiet time. Dallas says that memorizing scripture is more important than that. He says, for as we fill our our minds with great passages and have them readily available for our meditation, quiet time takes over the entity of our lives, right? As we begin to fill God's spirit into our hearts, the quiet time just becomes all of our lives. So Dallas says, memorization enables us to keep God and his truth constantly before our minds allowing his word and wisdom to help us. Let me read that through one last time without doing the commentary on it. Memorizing scripture is more important than a daily quiet time. For as we fill our minds with great passages and have them readily available for meditation, quiet time takes over the entity of our lives. Memorization enables us to keep God and his his truth 
constantly before our minds, allowing his word and his wisdom to help us. So again, for me, this, this has been a big piece of the last year is, is memorizing the book of Mark. Again, my goal is to finish it this year, is to have the whole book memorized, do the next eight chapters. Um, again, if you're looking for something that like, hey, I, I don't know, I've been doing this Bible app or I've been you know, reading a chapter a day or we watched those YouTube videos last week and, and Bruner recommended the Gospel House where each day of the month you'd, you'd read a, a chapter. There's all these sorts of avenues, but memorization would be a, a huge one that I would recommend. Okay, the next number, uh, 147. Again, just not to sound uh, self-aggrandizing. I wrote a book over the past couple years. Uh, I'm hoping to figure out how to get it published this year. I don't have much experience in that. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what that looks like. And I don't know if anybody knows about this or have heard about this or I've talked to anybody about this. Um, it's this just kind of side project that I've been working on. I, I kind of finished it last year. I would call it a photo negative of the gospel. Okay. Shout out to Costco getting rid of their photo department. We're all going to miss it. It's a photo negative. When you took, when you had the old cameras and you took Jill in, right? You had the, you had the negative film and then that would be developed into the picture. And it's kind of the opposite, right? So what's dark is light. What's light is dark. Is it still working, Julia? No. Are we overheated again? Um, what's dark is light. What's light is dark. Um, the way that I've thought about this project over the years that I've been working on it is what would it look like if Jesus lived and moved and taught kind of according to the values or the norms or the traditions of the world, right? What if he lived, so to speak, according to the flesh and not according to the spirit? So sometimes, and this happens to us in, if you've been a Christian for a long time, the Bible can get stale. Can I say that out loud, right? The Bible can get stale. And, and when we read it, we just kind of think like, oh yeah, the, of course the father forgives the son for wishing him dead and stealing half the money and wasting it on prostitutes and drugs, right? Of course the father would, would forgive, right? Or of course I'm supposed to love my enemy. That's just the most normal advice ever, right? And we just kind of gloss over a lot of Jesus's really revolutionary and challenging and deep words just because we're so familiar with them. So Imagine an ungospel that kind of told the negative or, or the, the photo negative version of that in order that when we return to the gospels, you fall in love with Jesus all over again. Does that make sense? That you would fall in love with Jesus. So you read this negative, this photo negative version in which you fall in love all over again. So probably the easiest way to explain it is I'll read a short passage. Is that all right? Are we familiar with the rich young ruler? Right? We all familiar with the rich young ruler? Jesus goes to this rich young ruler, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Sell all your possessions, right? Get rid of all your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have eternal life. And then the rich young ruler does what? He walks away sad because he can't do it, right? So the rich young ruler. So here would, again, if we were to take the photo negative, the inverse, the ungospel, here's how it would read. Here's how I would phrase it. There was once a young man who was able to break through the line of disciples. Jesus' disciples are now his bodyguards in this, in this, right? To get to Jesus. He came running after Jesus, wearing very expensive robes, jewelry, and sandals. The disciples immediately recognized him as someone with wealth, influence, and clout. Jesus, Jesus, he shouted, good teacher. I need to ask you a quick question before you leave. Jesus replied, 
Thank you for acknowledging my goodness and identifying me correctly. Now what is it, my son? What can I answer for you? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Have complete harmony with Yahweh. I feel like all my wealth, my prestige, my success, I still like feel that there's something missing in my relationship with God. It all feels so hollow. Jesus stopped and turned to the man. Well, you keep the Ten Commandments our father Moses gave us, right? You haven't killed anyone. You haven't committed adultery. You're not a low-life thief. You don't lie or cheat. And you still honor your parents, correct? Jesus, I keep the commandments fastidiously, down to the last jot and tittle. Jesus replied, well, don't you see, young man? Yahweh has rewarded you immensely for your commandment keeping. That is why you have such wealth, power, and influence. The more faithful you are, the more you will be rewarded. Don't feel guilty about what you have. And don't let others disparage you for having so much while they, for having so much while they have so little. It's hard for the poor to enter into the kingdom of God. Because they spend the majority of the time wallowing in self-pity and consumed with jealousy towards the wealthy. Remember the proverb, the poor is hated even by his neighbor, but those who love the rich are many. My son, you have my full blessing, and I beseech you to keep earning more for the kingdom. And we would greatly appreciate it if you could bless us with some money for our upcoming journey. Have you by chance had an opportunity to tithe lately? The rich man, overwhelmed in joy and relief, stood at Jesus' feet and his his response, he pulled off some of his gold jewelry and gave it to Jesus. Jesus in turn took some anointing oil and prayed a psalm over the young man. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem and may you live to see your children's children. Jesus turned over the gold to his treasurer, Judas, but kept a few fine gold rings for himself. So, been working on that project for the last, and I've done that for the whole, kind of the whole, taking the gospel as the whole narrative. Um, I've worked through the whole thing. I'm done. Like I said, I want to figure out how to to put this thing into some physical copy this year. Um, So, that's... Again, I hope these don't sound boastful, but kind of what I've been up to the last year. The last one, and I'll just put a quick dollar sign in front of this, because this we always talk about finances at the end of the year. Um, and, and this number just kind of represents how generous all y'all have been towards our church um, this past year. It, it just blows me away. And I'm really grateful that you guys all trust this church with your finances. Johnny, we appreciate that you give to our church. Thank you, Johnny. And we love having you here, Johnny. Um, so this is, was kind of our income. Uh, our, our expenditures were about $1,800 more than this. We had about an $1,800 deficit. And that wasn't the end of the world for us. But if you're thinking of, of giving to the church or have thought about giving to the church or whatnot, like honestly, it's about $150 a month that our church is kind of in, in the deficit, right? And that would, bal- that would just kind of balance our budget for the upcoming year. Normally, when we have our gathering inside and we do this, I put up the, the, the Excel spreadsheet of just like, hey, this is where we've spent in all the different areas. This, I show my salary. I show, you know, how much we've spent here, how much we've spent there. There's just not a whole lot to spend money on this year just because 
we can't really do much, right? But um, we've kind of run it lean and mean this year. Um, but our finances, as you guys know, will always be an open book. Uh, I, I'll have a detailed description from our accountant, um, and I'll make sure that I include that in an email in the next couple weeks when we, we do that. Um, and you can all just see where the finances are, what, what numbers are, how much comes in, how much goes out, what my salary is, where we spend on what. And then if you ever have any questions about our finances, about what's going on with our church finances, myself, Molly's a board member, Rob's a board member, Dustin's inside, he's a board member. You can ask them, you can ask anyone. Um, because I don't ever want, like, an, that, this is kind of one of the, the things that happens to churches is the money gets hidden and not talked about. Um, and, and shady things have happened in churches, unfortunately, around finances. Um, and I, I don't want to, I don't ever want that to, to be a part of our church's narrative. I always want this to be as open um, as we can be. So that's it. We good? Can I end with, with one more co I, I know I've shared this from other folks, but I, I think it's worth it to just share again as we continue to move in 2021. Um, Peter Lightheart, uh, who I, I kind of found this one online. Peter Lightheart says this, and we'll close with this. We're all eager to put 2020 behind us, right? And then he says this. He says, that's naive. There's no magic in the change of a calendar. 2021 could be worse. 2021 will not be the year that you finally get control of time in the world. In 2021 and beyond, our plans and activities will be like hurting the wind. 2020 was a year-long uh, he calls it a memento mori, right? It's a symbolic reminder of the inevitability of death, a memento mori, right? It's, it's, it's a moment-by-moment -moment reminder of mortality. 2020 was a year-long memento mori. If it taught us anything, it's the lesson of Ecclesiastes. All is vapor. We are vapor. Death surrounds us always. We have hope and joy because we know the shepherd who does herd the wind. The God who puts death to death. We have hope because we serve a God who spreads a table in, the midst and issue, in, the, in our midst and issues this invitation. Eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. For God has already approved your works. Ecclesiastes 9-7. Let me pray. Right on time. How was it, Emerson? <laughs> Lord, again, thank you. And we think back on this church over this past year, the Sunday mornings. Um, just kind of thinking about some of the themes, the numbers, the finances. Um, we're here, we're healthy. And we just have so much to really pour our hearts out and say thank you for. We don't want to take anything that we have, and maybe this year has taught that us as well too, not to take anything that we have for granted. Thank you, Father. Would you speak to us this morning in some way? Would you give us a word to guide us, to lead us, to bring more contentment in our lives, 
to give up control to you? Would you show us how to do that, Lord? We surrender our lives to you. And once again, we pray all these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen? All right, that's good. Isan, what's in there, apple cake? Isan's apple cake. And here's a little hand sanitizer if you want to. Love you, buddy. Good chatting with you this morning. Thanks for your help on the easy up.